I forgot I even had that in my pack. Wow, that's the craziest part, man. If Joe flicked my ear, I'd, I'd probably crack him in the forehead. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. I've got Frank the Tank across from me and the great Evan Hafer of Black Rifle Coffee uh, on the mic. <laughs> What's happening? What's happening, Evan? Dude, uh, yeah, I'm making some coffee, actually. That's that's what I'm doing. I'm uh, brewing up some coffee through a Chemex right now and talking to you on the phone. <laughs> well, well, cool. I, I wanted to bring up out of the gate, I did not realize that I was supporting such a woke, liberal, anti-gun, far-left, non-military company <laughs> as Black Rifle. What, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, man. I'll tell you, I've never been... Uh, I've never been called a liberal more in the last like few weeks than I have like like in my life. I mean, anybody that knows me is is like, I can't believe that you you've somehow stuck your foot in your mouth and been misinterpreted to this point. But it's I mean it's it's funny to people that know me. It's probably not funny to people that don't know me. <laughs> it, it, it was funny to me because we had. Uh a few specific customers emailing and messaging us. And, and I'm like, Hey man, it's pretty simple to me. You know, Evan's a friend by no means are we besties, but I consider him a friend. I know him well, and I know the crew. Well, um, it's really hard for me to even spend time on this conversation because you, you brought up the one guy brought up you, uh, the $500, the, the bet thing. I'll let you explain yeah. that. And I'm like, so you're going to remember 500, but not remember the fucking millions of dollars <laughs> that he and that company have put into veterans and, you know, the police force, what, you know, on and on and on, but you're going to remember the 500. And I'm like, and if he was that much of a supporter, why only 500? It, it's a, it's a multi-million dollar company. That, that's not much support. So that was the, that somebody dug up that you had donated money five hundred dollars to the Obama yeah. campaign. You lost a shooting right. match, didn't you? Wasn't that what happened with that? Yeah, I, I think I, could, I think one just to kind of put things in perspective, which is uh, that was back in like two thousand eight. I was in Mosul, Iraq, and if my you know my friends are there's probably a few of my buddies that are actually listening to me, like they know how. Uh, politically charged I can get. So they they know kind of my personality. Most of the time, I've got to like really dial it back for the majority of, of our content, the majority of what we do, because I'm always concerned that the, you know, Silicon Valley tech oligarchs are going to like try to squash our company like a bug, right? Like that's what I'm concerned with because of the this, <laughs> stuff that flows out of my mouth. Um, but, you know, back in 2008, guys knew kind of uh, what would get me going. And we were out competing in a range in the middle of, you know, Mosul. And it was a 100-yard pistol shot with Glocks. And, you know, I got a little bit chirpy and probably a little bit too ego-driven. And we put 500 bucks on it. And it was, it was quite literally they knew that that was going to prop. That, they knew that was going to hurt me more than anything. They had to sit in the team room, watch me make the donation where I missed the shot. And, you know, at that time, I wasn't, like, making a lot of money, man. It's not like I was, uh, uh, it, and it's not as if, like, I'm rolling out in in, uh, in, a, in gold bullion today either, but $500 is a lot of money. It, it hurts. So, I, 
I, uh, I had offset the donation to the best of my economic means with a McKean donation to 400. So it was like 500 I lost in a bet, 400 I tried to offset. But honestly, dude, that was like what I could afford. But the way that, that I kind of looked at it was, oh, this is just a bet. How would I ever assume that I was going to start Black Rifle Coffee like seven years later? <laughs> and, and this would be such a big deal, you know, uh, 12 years later. But evidently it was. Um, so that was the, the story with that. And um, and, and I also, so the funny thing was, I also had to wear uh, an Obama for president t-shirt around Washington, D.C. when we all got back. So there's a picture of me <laughs> bar hopping in 2008 with an Obama for president t-shirt that I had to buy off the rack, like walking downtown in D.C. And I had to put it on and I went from like bar to bar to bar and those idiots took a picture of me. My buddy actually sent it over to me when this was going on. It was like, oh, shit, I remember that. <laughs> we thought that would come back on you. Like, yeah, I know. But so I have this, like, picture even from 2008 where it's just, like, a bunch of, you know, Green Berets and special operations types basically making fun of me. And they're, like, bent over laughing with me wearing this Obama for president shirt. They knew this was going to, like, get me. So they didn't know it was going to come back and, like, be a public incident, but they knew this would absolutely. Well, who knew who who would have known where you ended up, right? I mean, did you expect yeah. to own a multi-million dollar coffee company? Pro- probably not. I didn't expect to be where I'm at at Kafaru, and who knows what dumb shit I was doing in 2008. It included a lot of steroids and banging a bunch of chicks at the gym. If that comes back, right, I'm in fucking trouble. And we 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 actually just had Eddie Gallagher on the podcast and yeah. talking about how the media can spin things how they want. And so for, for, for me, like with, with you guys, right? Like I, I, I've, I've known, I don't know Matt that well. I've known Logan. I've known you a long time. A lot of the other people, like the first time I met you, there was so many veterans running around. I'm like, what the hell are you having all these guys do? But what I inferred and gathered quickly is you have a big heart for, for veterans and you were employing a ton of them to try to help them out. And I, I, you know, me trying to defend you, like when people are, you know, when I, not necessarily you, but your company, um, I'm I'm like, guys, you don't know this. You do, you do not know Evan. You do not know the company you were, uh, well, I won't list it. You can, but I mean, you were a green beret. You worked for the CIA. Logan was a TAC P. I mean, obviously a very patriotic company, Matt, everyone knows Matt uh, was a ranger, um, Right. You couldn't find a more Second Amendment uh, patriotic company. And time, which if you want to talk about that, has turned it into this massive shit show of you've gone woke and, and you're all liberal. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. You know, I think, and who knows, right? So, you know, tracing it back and kind of looking at the last year and looking at the last year in business, is you're always trying to... Um, you're always trying to ride the line for social media. You know this. And when I say this is that you have to play by social media's rules to a certain extent in order to maintain your platform. So my company, like being called Black Rifle Coffee, we've always had a, a significant issue just with playing nice with, you know, Facebook, Instagram, and a few of these other places because of the name. 
so, and we've had to really adjust, I would say, the temperature of some of our content because of because of that. Uh, and, and, it's a, and it's a constant balancing act between, uh, between trying to put out stuff that you really love and you're passionate about and playing by the rules so you don't get deplatformed. Like, you know it as well as I do. That is a constant and ever-present uh, conversation even in the hunting world. I'm like shadow banned every other post, week. <laughs> yeah, you're shadow banned every other week. You're, you know, you get nasty emails from ad reps and all kinds of crazy shit. You've got to like really play the rules by the rules. So I think taking the temperature of the content and I wouldn't say, you know, we've, we've, we've necessarily, uh, we've had to be pretty focused on putting great quality content out there that doesn't infringe on all the rules. Right. So we like to make fun of things. We like to be funny. We like to think we're funny. But we also have to play by these rules, right? So that puts out a perception that, oh, well, you guys have changed. It's like, not really. It's still me, Matt, Logan, Jared, everybody running the content team. We just have to play by some of these rules. I, I know that there's like a combination of things out there, but I've gone on my podcast and talked about how stupid some of these decisions are for, you know, the, the DOD to come out and release, you know, these recruiting videos that include everybody and try to paint this like rosy picture. And, you know, everybody is, um, everybody's kind of, when we, when we look at the, the, the military itself, everybody's the, the same. And it's like, well, no, everybody isn't the same. You're judged based on the merit of your work and through selection criteria and through hard work, you can continue to increase what you do in the military, and that's what special operations selection is what it does. It emphasizes how hard a person can work in order to continue to either increase rank or go into special missions units. There are all these different things. Like that's just kind of a it's like a socialist facade to say things like that. It's ridiculous. Gotcha. Well and when you did like explain a little bit about what got twisted on the the, the, the time article and, and, or interview or whatever, like, because I, I, I know what happened, but trying to explain that to people, I mean, we're, we yeah. eat our own as Americans, right? They see something negative. There's no research and, or, or they research another article written by a far left, um, entity. And it's like, well, it's easy for me to read through it. Cause I know you guys, but like they twisted and took snippets and sound bites and posted exactly what would hurt you the most from what I've seen. Well, I, you know, who knows necessarily what the agenda was, right? So I kind of boil it down to this, which is the, the Times has a readership that is typically going, that is going to be liberal, right? So they're curating pieces for their audience that they feel will resonate with them. And they have a perception of the company before they walk in. And that perception has to drive a narrative on Black Rifle, whether you like it or not, basically. <laughs> and do you guys want to sit for interview? If, you know, from my perspective, I looked at it and I said, I got nothing to hide. I don't care who it is. You know, I already know this is going to be uh, painted from their lens. I already know this is going to be, you know, a very, very small snapshot into the company. I was quite literally just trying to to turn the attention of that interview into 
a positive impact story about veteran-related issues. And I have, you know, 50% of my employees, which is well over 225 employees right now that are, that are veterans. We talk about veteran uh, PTS, uh, head injuries, physical injuries, and we talk about this stuff every day. We built the company around, you know, entertaining and providing a quality product for the veteran community. So it's always been present in everything that we do. Uh, and, and for me, it was just like these two things, which is I'm a vet, former special operations guy that likes to shoot pretty fast and teach carbine courses. It was like vets, guns, coffee. When I started roasting coffee back in 2008 or 2005, 2006, it was a hobby. It was just a passion. So it's like combining all these passions for, you know, veteran community or, you know, my love of coffee and for, you know, the, the 2A crowd. It was, it was pretty easy. I was roasting coffee in my garage. I was making really what I thought was funny and irreverent videos. But we've been at this for seven years, and you know, we've been vilified by the, the left portion of commerce. I mean, I'm, I'm ostracized, which I don't really give a shit about, by most of the coffee community because of the position we've taken in not only the content, but typically my politics. The genesis of this entire thing was the coffee community in general is so left, you would classify most of them as socialists. And I would go into these coffee shops and as a coffee head and a coffee aficionado, you know, I would end up in like Portland and Seattle and some of these other places because I would go to coffee expos and coffee festivals and go and, you know, go to the places that were making what I felt was from the best coffee in the world. And there was this coffee shop uh, in one of these places, and I forget exactly where, they had this big photo of Che Guevara. And then they had another one, like a big red line through uh, George W. Bush. And I started thinking about it. It's like, one, this is bullshit. Che is probably one of the most notorious uh, you know, socialist murderers in, in history, especially in South America. I have zero uh, negative respect for, uh, for him and Fidel Bull. And I thought, you know, guys like us, we need a place that we can drink coffee and feel like we can have our types of conversations. You know, the kind of conversations you and I talk about or, you know, all of our buddies that we typically talk about, which is like we talk about you know, guns and hunting and archery and, you know, different things that, that we find interesting. Like we're not talking about like skinny jeans and the new electric car typically. Like we're talking about how do we run arrows through the hearts of animals? Like what are great hunting spots? Like where are the big muleys at? Or, or if we're talking about politics, it's like how ridiculous one side of this country is. Uh, so the genesis of this was all built around having a place for guys like us to just drink coffee and feel like this is our people. These are, these are our tribe. When I first started it, it was literally so I could put a coffee shop together with a, with a gun store and sell coffee and guns. Um, a lot of people for a long time thought that's exactly what we did. But it's always kind of been built around those communities, like veterans and firearms. Like those are the things that... It, we truly do care about when you're talking about those things in social media, it just can become 
very twisted. And then when you're looking at a, a when you're looking at a story like the New York Times, only thing I want to do is like really focus my energy on figuring out, you know, how can we use the platform to talk about veterans issues, like real substantial veterans issues. I knew they were going to flame me. I mean, <laughs> I knew they were going to flame me. I just figured like, hey man, if there was a few like paragraphs in there where they actually talked about what amputees have to go through, it'll be worth it. So that was the genesis and even why we sat for the interview is like maybe people will have an understanding as to veterans issues specifically. Uh, and I had no kind of uh, illusions as to how they were going to kind of, I, I didn't know how they were going to position the story, but I knew they were going to try to blame me for sure. Gotcha. So I would assume, um, for, uh, yeah, again, like uh, I'm going off of um, some of the emails that, we've gotten and messages are fairly comical and putting this into words is, is difficult. Cause I mean, the first thing I would say is we eat our own. And the, the one thing that I brought back to, to three specific individuals, which I, I hope you chuckleheads are listening to this. How much money have you put into, um, any type of a veteran affairs type of a group or disabled veterans? Um, you know, police force, obviously first responders, things like that. What would you guess Black Rifle has done as is, is it roundabout? Million. Uh, last year was over a million alone. Okay. And uh, how much did you donate? Over 200,000 of just my money, like yeah. my personal money. I've donated over, actually, I'm sorry, over $350,000 last year just from, from me specifically. I've, every year I've been able to donate more than my salary uh, at Black Rifle to uh, veterans related specific causes. And, and you donated $500 to Obama, correct? Yeah. From a- <laughs> it, it, well, and I, they, they're not taking into account, like I donated like several thousand dollars to my buddy, Dan Crenshaw and Winred in Georgia after we, you know, you know, that after that seat was, was up for grabs. Uh, and then, you know, my partner JT directed, uh, at, I believe at his expense directed and, and wrote his like the win win Georgia campaign, like reloaded for Dan and for all the congressional and Senate seats down there. Um, and, and typically we don't go out and, and advertise that these are the things that we're doing for the community uh, because we just want to do them. Like this is just who we are. And what we say is like, it's, it's who we are. It's not PR. So <laughs> for us, we're like, yeah, it's, it's tens of thousands, and, and when I say tens of thousands, the guys that we, we really do respect and admire, and it's the equivalent of, like, the quarter in the couch of Black Rifle. Uh, when we're talking about the $500 donation, it's, it's relatively insignificant. Yeah, and that's what I was trying to explain to some of these people messaging in of, like, uh, one, I knew the backstory, but I'm like, there's no way that, I'm going to turn my, my back on, on Evan and crew. Um, whether we were friends or not knowing what you're doing for the community and in the community, when I say that meaning, you know, obviously soldiers, whether it be tier one groups or, or, or police force, or I know the effort and the monetary, I say loss, but you know, the investment you're putting into that and people literally pick the smallest things out they possibly can to, to shit on you guys when they're looking for it and I'm like, guys, you got to dig a little deeper than that. Like you're pulling up that they did something with time magazine and 
that, you know, they knew time was liberal. And I'm like, well, did you ever think that they thought it might do some good and get some views on uh, on veterans to a different crowd? M- maybe that was it, you know, and, and people, I- I'm kind of enamored at times by what people want to want to hear and want to listen to, even though it's a company like yours that has been extremely patriotic. And I, I mean, I think you had a gun on you when we did the podcast. Cause I said something about conking somebody in the head and you said, I wouldn't do that, but I have a sub second, uh, concealed draw. And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. You know? And again, when I talk, we were talking about moving to Utah and you were talking about how conservative Utah is. And I love Utah. And you were like, they don't fuck with my weed and they don't fuck with my guns. Not saying you smoke weed, but you get my point that it's a very, yeah. very conservative state. Well, that was coming out of your mouth on the podcast while we were talking. And I'm like, how can people put someone that with what you've done for the country as an anti second amendment, woke far left company? Because how long you, your military career alone, why don't you list that off? I know you don't talk about it that much, but. Yeah, I, you know, I was a, I was a Green Beret for a number of years. And, you know, that's not necessarily indicative of political party, but the majority of us are, are fairly conservative or apolitical. And, and then I went over to the, the CIA for a number of years, you know, basically being a gun monkey uh, for uh, the adult, like the, the the good portion of my adult life. And once again, that subculture is, is fairly conservative, if not like really conservative. And so my, my entire subculture was kind of like grown up in, uh, my dad was about as, as about as conservative as you can get. So I grew up with my dad in Northern Idaho, in a logging town with a bunch of loggers that were all conservative, you know, with, to SF with a bunch of other people that were pretty conservative and then into the CIA with a bunch of other people who were pretty conservative. I'm not saying that you can't, you know, uh, be liberal in or- those organizations. It's just, you know, it's very, very, it's very slim. And, you know, I did, I don't know how many rotations outside of this country, uh, 43 to the best of my knowledge. The majority of my 25 to 35 year old years were all spent in Iraq or Afghanistan. And I carried a gun for a living my entire adult life. Uh, and it was my profession. And that's what I did. When I started Black Rifle, I was roasting coffee on a range in Colorado, like one pound at a time. Black Rifle coffee came from my service rifle being sitting right next to my little one pound coffee roaster that was on the back of my, my government, uh, my government, uh, it was like a dually. So I was, I'd put up the propane tanks and plug it in and roast coffee and teach carving courses. And, uh, I think that it's just, you know, my history alone with this is we, we started the company because I, I obviously love, I love coffee and I love making fun of, uh, you know, typically dumb bullshit. And <laughs> you guys are good at that. Yeah, you know, we did. We, you know, we did this video called like coming out conservative, which was literally like me directing it because it's, it's so funny the way that the, the country was, uh, at that time where conservatives, I still think they are today. They're, they're being ostracized from mainstream media. They're, 
you know their views are seen can their views are concerned or or seen as extreme if you're into individual liberty to your point which is you know i like owning my responsibilities i'm a registered libertarian in the state of utah like <laughs> i don't know how i don't know how this i mean i i if it wasn't so ridiculous i i would be able to kind of maybe I don't know. I laugh about it, but it is pretty ridiculous that I've even got to like explain this in the context because people have, have drawn a lot of assumptions based on, you know, statements and then they've been able to take that one statement and pair it with another statement and then it's like they're drawing news snippets from memes and I think that's a, that's a very dangerous game when people play that. No, it is. And I mean, one of the things that... um you know, I've talked to you and, and several others at your company and, and, and several, several other veterans and please, you know, we, we all, uh, whether you served or not, you know, generally and not, not always, but if you're conservative, you, you are very much more or less a gun toting, you know, second amendment, free speech type of a person. But yeah. if you have the opposite views, I know you well enough that I may not agree with them, but but I'm not going to blast you out of the, you know, atmosphere or uh, what a stratosphere because your views are different than mine. I have friends that have voted for Biden and uh, we have employees that I'm sure. I mean, we don't check, but I'm certain they voted for Biden. They're good right. people and they're good employees. What kind of a fucking ass backwards dipshit would I be if I went in there and treated them differently because their views are different than mine? As long as they're morally, their compass is morally semi straight and they're good people. That's what we care about. And, and I think you're the same, uh, kind of the same thought process or same thinking. Now, that doesn't mean we won't talk or debate or uh, look at things differently and open views. But w- w- with the, the way the world works now, especially the United States, you, you can't have a normal conversation when it comes to uh, politics or, or religion. You can't just sit down and talk. Uh, it's, oh, you're a liberal. You're, you're, you're a fucking idiot. Where it's like, well, I mean, there's you know, some room to talk there. And I think you guys run the company kind of the same way. I do. I, well, one, it's, you know, it's illegal for us to, to look at political affiliation or even to look at, you know, who they've donated to, right? It's they pass a background check. Are they qualified for the job? Uh, their political opinions are, are, are relevant only if they make them, they make them so. Uh, and it's interesting because in the last few months, we've had a lot of people, uh, what I would say, doxxed uh, because of political donations. And a lot of those political donation memes at times are, are they're false. So we've had multiple different places that have posted things that are just directly false. So they're just spreading misinformation through, you know, a combination of meme efforts. And I don't know exactly why that is. I think when people assume that you're not, towing the line with a narrative. They just assume that you're on the other team. And I'm like, no, I'm not on the other team. I, I just, I'm not going to discriminate against people because of their political party for hiring. That's just one. It's unethical and two, it's illegal. I'd never do that. Um, and the assumption that you would do that or the expectation that I would do that as a company, I think is, is, is pretty wrong. <laughs> I, I really do. I just think that like, it's unethical for even a company to assume, to assume that. I know I've been out to Fox multiple times and uh, I'm fairly certain there's, there's quite a few Democrats that are employed over at Fox News. 
Uh, I know guys that have run political campaigns and, you know, you know, collect, done like, you know, data specialist stuff and built IT platforms for different guys that have run for office and uh, they're Democrats. So I think this purity test that people want to put people through is, is a little bit ridiculous. Uh, when I have 550 employees in Black Rifle and they want uh, to assume that every one of those is conservative or if the expectation is that I'm going to check, that's unrealistic. I can't do it. Well, and it's unrealistic because of the type of person you are, you know, and as you brought up, and it's illegal, right. but I, I, you know, looking at obviously, you know, we're both of our companies, obviously, um, it, from what I've seen of hanging around with you, you kind of run the company more or less the same way. Frank and I run it here, get your ass to work, but we can have fun when it's time to have fun. We don't care who you are, what color right. you are, what your religion is, as long as you're a good fucking person and you're a hard worker. Yeah you're in it to win it till the end. And, uh, you know, Frank, uh, obviously, uh, doesn't talk a whole lot cause I talk too much, but I would say we have one of the most, uh, dynamic, uh, group of employees you could possibly, you know, ask for two of our better employees are, uh, married and, and, uh, female uh, to each other. And right. I have had people post things about me that I'm, I'm, I'm anti, uh, uh, gay or, or whatever. And I'm like, really? Right. They, they've been over to my house for dinner and I've given them money and try to help them out. And, <laughs> and I love them to death. Well, just because of things taken out of context or thing, cause I say shit just flies out of my mouth. It's like, I'm all about good people doing really cool shit and helping them with that. And, and if in the midst of that, you voted for somebody I don't personally like, I'm not going to hold that against you. And that's why I was so thrown off of like, obviously you guys don't know Evan or black rifle. Cause he's about as fucking chill as you could get. Obviously maybe tell you they see your sub second draw when they piss you off. But I mean, you're one of the most open-minded people I know. Um, and v you can use your own brain. Um, and I don't think people are capable of that. I guess I don't think people are capable of using their own brain to make a decision. It's what they're seeing on the news at the time. I think that's what the news wants us to do. Like the, they want to buy into their, they, they traffic in eyeballs, right? They traffic in salacious material that will ultimately get views. And, you know, we're direct competition for those people, by the way, because we are pretty good at driving traffic. So they don't get ad revenue from us. Uh, you know, my, my blog that we, that we have at Black Rifle is, you know, it's a, a really successful news outlet and there are people that we know specifically that in in news and media that they see that as well you guys are just doing your own thing which creates a it, it creates a an aura of competition between we don't like the fact that you don't have to rely on our network to drive traffic and that that drives a split between what's reality and what's like what's perception and I'm astounded that the uh, Americans, I guess both left and right, it, at times they're, they're not willing to participate in a complex dialogue about real issues that affect every American across the United States. And you guys see it in the hunting space a lot. Like I, I was just at this thing with um, Ike Eastman did a thing at, at at Black Rifle Coffee last week, and we were taught they opened it up as like their uh, 
their big game hunting seminar that they did for us. And all my employees, or I should say all of them, a bunch of them showed up and we talked about, you know, trophy hunting specifically. And there's a perception that is by one side of the country that trophy hunting is bad, right? That hunting is bad, that, you know, hunting is, is, you know, unethical or whatever, right? And you know it because you guys feel it, I would imagine, more than, more than some. But anybody that hunts, anybody that's actually spent a lot of time around conservation efforts and understands how much hunters spend in the outdoors, we know that's, uh, that's absolute inaccurate. And it's, it's inaccurate information, and it's actually just propaganda, which is small-town economies in a lot of these areas greatly depend on hunting and fishing. And then trophy hunting is not... The, the genesis of evil within America. We know that. We know how important it is to the environment, how important it is to these economies to uh, get people out and get them experiencing the wilderness and also the tax dollars that go into that just in tags alone. We, we're protecting the, the resources across the board so we have them for generations to continue to share tradition with, with like our kids and hopefully, you know, my kids' kids, my grandkids. Uh, but there's a perception that what you're doing is, is wrong from one side of the country. So that's where misinformation, I think, can sway public opinion. And I think, you know, we're just like a tiny little blip of misinformation, but it absolutely persuades, or persuades public opinion. And then it puts out, like, direct, just inaccurate information, or what we say just, complete falsehood. No, without a doubt. And, and you, you are correct as far as the, well, when public perception, whatever with hunting. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, on, on to that, not to, to shift gears too much, but the, you know, the, sure. the guilty until proven innocent portion of hunting is, mm-hmm. is quite, quite amazing yeah. to, to me. You know, uh, if, if you're charged with something in the hunting community, you're guilty. Right. Even if you're not, right. not guilty or I mean, let's say and I've I've had these debates with with different people of let's say there is a um, a left leaning um, a, a politician. I'll simplify this, but that is pro something that I believe in. Let's say that be uh, some type of thing going up to vote when it has to do with convers- cons- conservation. I almost I'm almost in one way obligated to not. Uh, defend that or or donate that person, even though their views on that specific subject align with mine. Because it's not like all Republicans mm-hmm. are all, not everything is, no nothing aligns, right? I can use my own brain. Right. I can, I, at the point I'm at, or, or myself and Frank, we would almost have to pass on helping that person for a good cause for the potential ramifications later on that we we would be well in the position that you guys were in for a little bit of, Oh, they're liberal. They, they donated money to this campaign, not looking into what that was for. That could have been for, you know, adding sheep to the mountainside or some shit. Right. But it, yeah. it may not have been a Republic or Democrat or whatever our current views are. It was just for the greater good of the cause. That is a shitty deal. Well, I, <laughs> It's a shitty deal because, I mean, I'll tell you exactly the way that I vote and the things that I, I kind of prioritize. Uh, uh, one is uh, 
wars and, and what I would say is wars without success criteria. So long-term wars of occupation without success criteria. Uh, you know, candidates have different opinions, but, uh, you know, one of the things I really respected and, and, and truly admired about Trump was that he was talking actively about military industrial complex and we needed to withdraw and downsize our footprint overseas and bring the boys home. Uh, you know, that was a, a really important voting uh, subject to me. And it seemed like, you know, the other side, they wanted to just pound the war drums. And as a guy that spent the majority of my life overseas kind of toiling in some of these, like, in some of these places that felt like we weren't getting ahead, we were just maintaining seemed really important to me because, you know, if you lose your friends in places, and not only friends, but a good portion of my adult life, that becomes a high priority for me. And uh, I, I can definitively say that was like my number one criteria for who was saying what uh, was what was happening overseas, uh, who was talking about downsizing and withdrawing troops. And uh, I just don't believe that we need to go willy-nilly into these countries with large-scale occupational force. And more importantly, I have the experience to talk about those things in a very articulate and experience-based knowledge way. It says, this is why I think we shouldn't do that. Uh, you know, number two is gun legislation. So, you know, I don't feel that we need to put any more uh, laws or regulation on the, on the books regarding firearms. I think we probably have too many. I think we should be actively participating in a conversation about how many states are uh, constitutional carry. How can we decrease the amount of laws and decrease the amount of, of red tape? Because it's been statistically proven that a, a armed society is a safe society. Look and, at Chicago. Uh, yes. It's, it's, you, you can't, you can you can change statistics however however you want, you know you can misinterpret or interpret them, but uh, there is like overwhelming statistical uh, information out there for people that are looking at like crime in America and high density urban populations across the United States that prove that you know armed societies are a safer society, and then two concealed carry holders. Uh, do they, you can, you can classify them as they do not commit crimes because it's so low, Aaron, that it, you might as well just, it, last time I looked at it's less than 1%. It's less than 1%. Uh, so, you know, well, in this, you I, know, hyper volatile political situation where information is just being spewed around, if we just look at the data, and looked at that, that, that would be, I think, enough to prove our point. But unfortunately, that's not the way people think. Well, when you talk about the concealed carry, and I've gotten into large arguments, and it's not like I'm a gun nut, right? I'm a, I'm a bow hunter. Yeah. I got my wife a couple guns. I got a shotgun and a rifle. I'm, I'm good, right? That's, that's me. And I, but sure. I'm, I'm also very pro-Second Amendment. And, and the one thing that when you get a concealed carry, I don't know that people don't understand this, you are marked, labeled, red flagged, everything. You have a gun and you have a license to carry it. It is It is literally the concealed carry permit is a permit to not break a law. Now, right. meaning 
you better literally almost have a knife in you if you actually break that gun out because you're you're registered in every way possible. Now, someone that Mm -hmm. doesn't have one, that means their gun, the serial number's filed off. It's probably stolen. They can do whatever the hell they want. So, of course, a concealed carry uh, permit holder is probably not going to commit a crime in comparison to the guy that stole the gun, filed off the serial number, and that's common sense to me. Like, to me, I'm like, well... I'm pro concealed carry because you, you got to register it and you're learning, right? You're learning gun safety. Um, and, and people seem to look, look way past that. And again, when you're like talking about physical opposing forces and please don't, Evan is not exactly a giant, but when Evan has a gun in his hand, I, you know, physically now, Evan, you may whoop my ass, but I'm just bringing this up for a, a general, you know, I highly doubt it. Yeah. well, yeah, physically, if I wanted to harm you or your family and you don't have a gun, I probably can. You put a gun right. in your hands. That doesn't mean you're going to shoot me, but it certainly means no. you're going to deter me from doing anything that I might try. Where in Chicago, you can see there's people getting robbed and beaten on a sidewalk because they know that person does not have a gun and the other person is a more physically opposing force. That's just common sense. And people seem to look far past that. You know, it's just weird to me. It's weird to me because I think we win the argument every day in just straight data. Like this is black and white. How many crimes are committed per year by legal gun owners? And how many crimes are com- you know committed by non-legal gun owners, right? It's like illegal. Uh, it, when I say illegal, it's people that are possessing the firearm illegally, whatever that might be. Uh, it's overwhelming. And... You know, just from a personal perspective, I, I don't know all the data related to each one of the, the cities and states. I just know from a personal perspective, I always default to more liberty equals uh, more accountability. You have to take accountability for your actions. I'm always defaulting to that, which is I will take more accountability for my individual safety and my family's safety if that means I have more liberty. And... That's the drum I always beat, which is I don't need the, the federal government or the state to tell me how to run my life. You know, I, I think over the last year and a half, if anything, we've, we've seen how stupid and pathetic a lot of our, our politicians are. You know, these, the mask mandates and the business closures and all of these things that we've seen I wish people would take a more visible interest in holding their politicians accountable for their idiotic behavior. Uh, We can look at a number of cities out there and say, that's not a city I want to live in. You know how many people I talk to like every day because I used to live in Seattle. They're, you know, Seattleites that are literally calling me going, how is Utah? Because I got to get the hell out of here. This place sucks. And we see it across the board. I think when you look at infringement on individual liberty from whether that's the state or the Fed, those are laws that we have to like be very skeptical of. And we have to tear those apart. They have to be they have to be complex debates that we have as a society. We shouldn't be looking at more opportunities to control people. <laughs> at least from my perspective, I'm never looking for, you know, my side or the other side to try to take more individual liberty from people. And 
Uh, that's the confusing part of this because when I say things like that, it defaults. I am a conservative because of those things. I believe in smaller government. I believe in more individual accountability. I believe in, you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. So all of those things are like default. They're making me a conservative. So I, it's so weird for me because it, it to be painted as anything outside of that is just, one, it's inaccurate. I mean, I have terabytes of me like running my mouth on my podcast over the last seven years. And it's so strange for me to hear some of these things because like, gosh, guys, have you ever heard of podcasts I've ever been on? Like I'm known in this, in this, my community over on our podcast side is like the fire breathing, <laughs> the fire breather. Right. Uh, so I think, I think it's just, it's, it's, it's misinformation and whether or not, I could have controlled it or not. I mean, that'll be debated for probably the next few months, but who knows? Well, I mean, Frank, you just got your concealed, didn't you? Yeah. And then how did that, I mean, I I would imagine I've never gotten mine. So I would imagine you probably, there was some gun safety, things like that. Rules of the road, uh, kind of going along with lines, what Evan had said, it makes you more accountable going through that because you've learned what you can and cannot do and you learn weapon safety. I'm assuming that's what you went through. It was a whole course. It was a safety course of how to, I mean, there was a lot of people in, in the class that I had to take. Um, you, you have to take a class to even apply for the certification. But there were a lot of people in the class that had never even handled a gun, which I thought was a little strange, but um, yeah, you go through a, a safety course and then you go through a course that talks about legal issues, the laws that apply to concealed carry and, um, they don't get necessarily give you legal advice, but they kind of give you an idea of what you're going to be dealing with. Say you do have to pull that, pull out your, your pistol and use it or, or just purely pulling it out. Um, and then, and then you go through, uh, uh, the course I took, at least there was a, a shooting portion as well. And you had to be proficient at, um, what I thought was like super close. It was like three yards, uh, which is insane. But, um, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of, of, uh, Oops, you have to jump through just to get the, just to get the concealed carry. So it's not like you're just going out there and getting it, but um. yeah, it's not like a library card. And I, and I think that's good. I don't have any issue with that personally. I think gun safety and, you know, knowing the rules of the road are, are, are important when, when you're talking about firearms. Now that doesn't mean I'm, you know, pro government taking away our guns. I'm just saying, you know, just like in life, you, you work hard and, uh, you know, the hard work pays off and you, you excel well, with, with weapons, if you learn how to use a weapon, learn the rules of the road, and you but you are an adult, there's some responsibilities that come with that. One is not firing off rounds at your neighbor because you're a dumb shit uh, through, you know, through your yard without a backstop. I mean, things that you and I and right. Frank probably take for granted, Frank went through the class and probably, what, over half had never even handled a gun, had they? Yeah, right. I'd say the majority of other people there were new to firearms. Yeah. Or so, had just purchased one, like, that week. Yeah, well, and how many thousands of people have you trained, Evan, on firearms? I mean, you were an instructor for a while, weren't you? Yeah, but we were really small courses, and they were former soft guys. So, you know, there is thousands between host indigenous forces overseas and then, you know, and then guys that I've, keep, you know, or that I've taught here domestically. And those were all, you know, special operations, former types that were, you know, looking to come over and work for the, the agency or advanced individual training for guys in special operations or with agency. Um, so 
you know, it's a very small group of people. And, you know, when, when I was running courses, it was really about how to, how to effectively kill people, like, you know, really fucking move and close and, you know, enclose and kill. Right. And, uh, the defensive posture was the type of training that I would conduct was more of how do we get out of an ambush? You know, how do I react to contact? Uh, and then I've had a few courses post that for individuals that are meaning, you know, home defense, but I haven't done that for years because once black rifle got to a certain point, that was all I could do. But for the first couple of years of black rifle, I was teaching, uh, civilians, uh, you know, quite literally how to defend their home with a firearm. So I would come in and I would take a look at their floor plan. I would tell them like, okay, this is where your bedroom is. Where do you keep your gun? And then I'd run through a series of scenarios with, uh, airsoft or some munitions, uh, where they would have to defend their property in different circumstances. Um, and I did that for a number of years. Like I said, it, eventually, you know, Black Rifle Coffee got to the point where I couldn't actually teach anymore. But it is one of the things that I've, I've, I've done the majority of my life. And I still have a passion for it. Like, I really think that people, if they have a firearm, they should, you know, take the additional steps to learn how to handle it safely. You know, they should learn how to not only handle it safely, but what are the, you know, legal uh, ramifications if you were to use it in defense, because there are a substantial amount of legal issues that a person would have to, you know, navigate depending on the circumstance. Um, but that's, once again, it falls in the individual to take responsibility, right? So I'm a really big proponent of individual responsibility. And less, less force, uh, you know, government uh, forcing responsibility on individuals because I always equate it to like this. When the Fed wants to do something, it's a one size shoe fits all, right? And typically I'm a nine and a half. And if shoes showed up for me that the Fed was issued, they would go on national average for like men. It should be like, it would be an ill-fitting shoe for me. Now it'll fit a very small percentage of the population really well, but the majority of people just won't really fit very well. It'll be too small or too big. And so firearms to me, and, and I would say, you know, taking responsibility for a firearm, and that's the first step, is like getting additional training, understanding how to use it. Um, you know, I'm, that's what I, you know, individual opinion i think that that's really important yeah and i agree one of the things uh because uh, my wife got her concealed carry and she went to the gun range i'm a horrible instructor so obviously i sent her down and, and it's um i think it's a bunch of actually seals that are or ex seals that run that gun range and when she got home i was like okay i'm gonna go over now with you what they left out and she's like what do you mean and right. i said well the fact you're probably going to forget to grab the fucking gun or do, you know what I mean? I was like, we need to right. go over floor plan. We need to go over the, where the weapons are. You're not going to wake up every time the dog barks, grab your pistol beside the, you know, we have two giant uh, great Pyrenees. We'd be grabbing the gun constantly. So I'm like, so we have a gun by the bed. Right. We have a gun by the door. And <laughs> I was like, that way, if something is out there, you have the gun by the door. Now I'm going to go into target assessment. Um, you know, basically assessing the situation and then target acquisition. And, you know, I was just going over this stuff with her and it kind of like, Hey, if a bear charges, 
having a gun in your pack doesn't do a lot of good because you're probably not going to get it out. So you need to be prepared and just normal shit of the realization of what actually happens when you're in that because adrenaline is flowing through and they didn't go over that stuff with the class. So we did some mock-ups and simulations and I said, honey, believe me, any person in their right mind, hears a um, slide jack back. That is an immediate wake the fuck up call that this person has a gun. Right. And, and, and that, that, that's a wake up call. Same with a shotgun, you know, racking around in. And so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going through this with her and she is like, well, you know, honey, like if anything bad ever happened, like how many people are trained like this? And I'm like the majority of people on the mountain right now, I could go steal all their shit and we'll never have to prep because we'll have all theirs because they are not prepared for this type of stuff. And I would say nationwide, that number is growing largely of people that aren't prepared, that aren't, aren't, you know, and I'm not saying bury shit in your front yard, but meaning it's a good idea to to know your way around a weapon and protect yourself. It seems like Mm -hmm. as Americans right now, we're, we're, we're kind of falling into a pit of everyone take care of us and uh, we're not going to do anything, which I am not for that, that type of mentality. No, neither am I. I think we should be looking for every opportunity to take more responsibility uh, as individuals because that equals freedom, right? And, and that's, that's what freedom is. It comes at, uh, I would say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a cost, but some people, they don't like that cost because they don't want to take responsibility for their actions. Um, you know, they want, they want uh, you know, a government or some type of government entity to, to take care of them. Now, I'm not against all of those things, right? Like, I, I love and appreciate the fact that if my, if my house is on fire, I can call the fire department, and hopefully they'll come and, like, put it out, right? I love the fact that, you know, I can walk down the street at night on really safe streets because there are a bunch of police officers that are out there keeping, I would say, the the, the guys that are looking to do just exploitive harm at bay, right? I love those those services. But, you know, when we look at all these opportunities across the board just to maintain individual responsibility and liberty, that's the conversation I think we need to have versus, uh, you know, conversations about what president was right or, you know, you know, who's cooler, who's got the better Twitter feed. It's how do we maintain individual sovereignty? <laughs> and that's like, you know, if I've got like one drum beat for me, that's what I constantly beat is, you know, we've got to take like, we've got to take our rights and individual liberty very seriously. I sound like I'm running for office. I, I roast coffee for a living. I mean, what, what the <laughs> fuck do I know? Like, <laughs> it's funny though. Cause listening I, to you, when people were bringing this shit up, I'm like, Evan, really? You obviously don't know Evan and that crew. You know what I mean? Like some of the things I was hearing. So. Yeah. It, and it's, and it's crazy because like people, people ask me like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? I'm like, Dude, unless it's like how to make, you know, a better cup of coffee or how to tighten up a shot group or whether or not we should go to war, don't fucking listen to me. Like, I, I don't, like, like, don't listen to me because half the time I, I just say stupid crap just because it comes out of my mouth. There's a, there's a functional disconnect between my brain and my mouth at times. And it's interesting because people will, will, listen to what I say, and I'm not saying that I'm like I'm not an authority figure on anything other than those three subjects. Um, 
but it, it's just interesting to me that people all kind of want me to weigh in on certain things because I'm like, dude, I don't know. <laughs> like I, I, every day, it's, it, and it's funny, I had to download Twitter when this stuff was going on because it's not even on my phone. I had to like download it to figure out like what what's going on? <laughs> what do people think? And like I said, if it wasn't so uh, you know painful, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be able to laugh at it a little bit harder. But it's, it's pretty impressive to me how people can misinterpret. And then not only that, but then take a publication that has like quite literally, I would say, uh, you know, a low reputation at a minimum uh, and take it as like, oh, well, this is, this must be what he thinks. And I'm like, that guy had a very, very small snapshot into a very complex company and he had a very, very small window of time, even with me. And he had a very specific point he was trying to make with that story before he showed up. Um, are there facts in the story? Yes, there's facts in the story, but to take things directly out of context or to merge different conversations to make it look a certain way, um, I think that happens with probably every story or publication that is put out. It's just built for their readership. Well, you know, one of the things that we talked for a few minutes about with, with Eddie was uh, the context in certain things, meaning there were text messages he had sent that were totally picked apart uh, as individual text without the context beforehand or after. Meaning I brought up the scenario of, hey, Frank, I'm cold and we're on a backpack hunt. Can I go hop in your tent and we can spoon to warm up? If you take that, does does that mean I love Frank and I want to hunt? No, I was trying to get a point across and be funny that I'm cold. But having, you know, certain things like if, if people pick your life apart off your text messages or you talk for an hour and they pick three minutes out of what they want, you know, it's up to consumers or listeners or, or readers to use common sense, look dig a little deeper, find what each person's or each company's uh you know, standpoint, backbone, what their, you know, their core is and go from there rather than judge the three minutes of what someone chose to, to post up or to write about. And in your case, when I'm watching that, I'm like, if only people knew the company, I mean, especially you, Logan and Matt, Matt's about the most in your face, fucking be all you can be gun toting pain in the ass. You can ask for how on earth would you think that Matt was liberal or woke Right. I mean, above and beyond, you know, you. So it was very strange to me what was coming across our emails and, and Instagram messages and shit. Yeah. And it's like Matt and I were joking the other day and he was like, yeah, I, uh, like I went woke with my, you know, eight, 800 square foot walk in safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we were, we were talking about making like these videos, like just making fun of it. It was like, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have to just, you know, close up our saves and weld them shut and, you know, throw them off a bridge now because evidently everybody thinks that, you know, not everybody, I've gotten a ton of positive uh, messages from people in the last few weeks or the last few days that like, yeah, you guys, there's been no doubt as to who you are because they listen to the podcast and they actually pay attention to our content and they don't, they don't take the New York times as, you know, a hundred percent credit credible. Uh, 
And I think that's the big thing is like, geez, the first thing that I said to that guy when he walked in was, I can't wait to see what you write about us because after what you did to Eddie Gallagher for over a year, I can't wait for this story because I listened to every one of their podcasts that they put out about Eddie and they called him a war criminal and a murderer and all these horrible things when he wasn't convicted, uh, there was, he hadn't gone through his trial. And then even after he was, um, he's released of the charges or released of the charges, and he, he, was, he wasn't pardoned because that's the other thing that people would say. Well, he was pardoned. No, he wasn't. He was clear to the majority of the charges. The president gave his trident back to him and got him out of um, solitary. solitary confinement. Yeah. That, that is completely inaccurate. So the misinformation campaign was real. It was directly targeted against who I feel is, is an American hero. And the other piece of that was, if Eddie had a problem and there was a breakdown in the field, where are where is the political accountability of what was happening overseas and the direct psychological health of the service members? Why are we not talking about like what's happening overseas and why those guys are put into those situations for extended periods of time? Now he was clear. So in my mind, what should have happened was there should have been a, a very prominent apology by every one of the news outlets that had framed him in a negative light. And then, you know, the post information in that is, well, he, he was cleared and they make up, they just make shit up now. He, he was cleared by a loophole or some, something like that. I'm like, no, that's not the way the legal system works. You don't get to just say anything you want about someone. You have to take into account that this person was either innocent or guilty. And what he was convicted of was, you know, what I think it was like taking a picture in the field or something like that, like something that really, ev- really ev- insignificant. Everyone and, was in, and he was the only one charged for that. His entire team, but one yeah. person was in, all smiling. And, and it, yeah, I don't want to get too ramped up on this because it really irritates right. me and I'm going to get all wound up, but... You know, the dude had done so much for his country, much like yourself, and was smeared all over. And there was Americans, and I was reading online on forums long before, because I had friends in the community that actually told me what happened long before the book was written, or I knew Eddie. And I'm reading these things, and one of the things was, even his team testified against him. And it's like, yeah, bullshit, they're all fucking lies. He was proven innocent of all of them. Like, in court. Correct. And so it's like, well, in yeah. Court they testified against him lies and, and then it, he was proven innocent, but the, the court of public opinion, people like time did a great job of, you know, trying to ruin him, which, which sucks. Cause I mean, he donated 20 years of his life to the country, you know, and again, much like yourself. And then the media can be ugly. That's for sure. The media can definitely be ugly. Well, I think that's why there's so many people looking for alternative news sources because they're, they're sick of, the propaganda and the gaslighting. And if they just realize that they're in the business of dealing with salacious material because they need to drive traffic in order to, to create revenue, that's how they're in business. And, uh, you know, if, if people always took a look at that and say, well, how sensationalized is this information? You know, how are they gaining, you know, the, the persuasion of their readership or galvanizing who, who they 
purchase or purchases their paper or whatever it might be, people would be much more informed. They'd be really willing to kind of open their eyes and look at, you know, I, I shouldn't even say alternative forms of information. Just look at it from a more objective lens. Like, what do they gain from saying this? And, you know, I mean, it painted my business as like being somewhat exploitive. And I'm like, what? Like, dude, we just make, like, I, I say this all the time. I'm like, man, I make dick jokes and roast coffee for a living. Like, there's not a, you know, sophisticated mastermind of intent. It's like, I like to roast great coffee. I love coffee and I like to make stupid videos. That's kind of the extent of it. Like I love, you know, coffee shops, interfacing with my customers and things like that. The other piece was just like, there's no planet that I live on where I would intentionally say something negative about my customer. They, they put milk in my refrigerator. They put backpacks on my kids as they go to school. Uh, you know, to take things blatantly out of context is just like, not only is it incorrect, but it's ethically wrong. Yeah, and they get away with it um, a lot. With they get away with it, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I think that um, I don't want to keep you. We've been on over an hour, man, so I don't want to keep you on, yeah. you know, too, too terribly long. But um, for those, you know, listening in, I want to make sure the standpoint I've already made in multiple emails and messages, I am very much in support of Black Rifle Coffee. If you don't get that point from this podcast, you probably need to go grab some hooked on phonics they're very patriotic very second <laughs> amendment they're very badass people and and i i am not going to stop supporting them because evan chose to do an article with time um evan is still evan the company is still the company and nothing changed between now and then and, and i strongly suggest for people to support them for what they do for the military disabled veterans the police force you guys are an amazing company and you know, I'll just say it. Anybody that thinks differently are fucking idiots. Um, and if you don't follow Kafaro because of that, then then don't. Um, you have to back the people that are that are backing the what you believe in, and you guys certainly are doing that. And I appreciate it. No, and we appreciate you guys. Like we love you guys. Like I mean, just the fact that you you guys are out there every day. We're sharing these events and doing all this like really cool. Like these these things are really cool for everybody in our ecosystem. And but Kefaro has been one of those things that, like, I love this brand. I, I remember going to your shop, like, years ago when I was, like, driving through Colorado and stopping in your little gear shop, and I bought one of those uh, Wobbies and that high-collared vest you guys used to have with the sleeves that could come out. And, like, I love the brand. So it's, it's, it's such an authentic engagement for us because – what we all use it <laughs> so it's like dude we love you guys and it's like you know these things are like where you really find out where your friends are and who knows you so we can't we can't help but be really thankful that we got great friends like you Aaron. yeah no no problem at all i've, I've got you guys's back you know obviously at, at any time and it's and it's not because uh you know i'm just a coffee enthusiast and i like your coffee it's obviously what you guys stand for and and again, anybody listening in that's thinking about, well, I read this or read, well, fucking read more, okay? Dig between a couple <laughs> lines, right? Like, let's shift a few more pages. So you, you will find out or listen into any of the, the hundreds of podcasts that Evan has done, um, you know, and you'll find out what, where Black Rifle, you know, what, what, where they stand and, and what their views are. So, man, again, I, I appreciate everything. Uh, if, you, if you don't mind, slap Logan for me and uh, Trevin and tell him I said hello. <laughs> I will, buddy. Thanks a lot, Aaron. I appreciate it, man. No, I appreciate you, man. Take it easy. Cheers.